I don't know about you, but I am not a winter person. Um, I'm not sure why the Lord has is, sought is fit that I would serve for years and years in, in churches throughout the Northeast Ohio or Pennsylvania area where winters are harsh. But for whatever reason, I, I just don't find myself joyful in the winter season as I would when it's nice. Usually by the time we get to September, um, October, my wife is the happiest because she loves fall. To me, fall is a sign of the coming death of all things good outside. Um, I, I can't even enjoy the leaves, even though I do find them pretty, because number one, it signals that it's about to be winter. Winter is coming. And number two, I have to rake them, or at least mulch them up. So to me, winter is just this bleak time. I, I generally get more tired than I'm willing to admit. Uh, I definitely suffer from a significant lack of vitamin D. I love to be outside. My son gets that from me too. He is a different child when he's outdoors. And it's lamentable in the cold of this winter that we can't be outside as much. But I just don't like winter. My favorite is when things get nice and warm enough that you go outside and stuff is starting to bloom. To me, the blooming of, of plants and trees and flowers, of all the things that come back, the green returns, the sun is up seemingly way more. You don't leave for work and it's dark and come home and it's dark. Those are just the better times. And so I just long for that, that, that waiting for that time when things start to pick up and the spring is upon us. This week, I was looking into, into that a little bit, and I found this crazy weird plant. You might ask yourself, why are we looking at this weird plant? But I promise you, it'll make sense. Stay with me. It is called the Queen of the Andes. And this plant, this flower, blooms once only every hundred or so years. It's a real thing. It's native to the Andes. Uh, you can find them in some other areas. One of the biggest places that recently there was one that bloomed, I want to say around 2014, was in actually in San Francisco in the Botanical Gardens. They, they've created some there. They've got some there that work. But it's look, it looks like this. It's this really freaky looking plant. And you can tell kind of on the top, it is just starting to flower a little bit now. But every hundred years, good thing our winters <laughs> don't last that long. I think we'd all lose our stuff. <laughs> I just am not about this. But why do we talk about this plant? This week, in our final week of Advent, before we get to celebrate the birth of our Savior on Christmas Eve, we are talking about waiting. Yes, waiting, the thing we are all terrible at. Every one of you suffers from some degree of impatience. Now you might say, no, Vince, I'm a patient person. We're just not pulling the right strings. See, I'm generally pretty patient. If you're a human-to-human -human interaction with me, I generally have a lot of patience with you. It takes a lot for one human talking to me one-on-one -on -one to get me riled up. But man, if my phone doesn't work the way it's supposed to. If I start that YouTube video and it takes more than three seconds to load, no patience. If Amazon, God forbid, should deliver a package more than an hour later than it says it's going to be there, oh, right? It's just a matter of finding the right things. Every one of us has those pain points that tug at our patience. And why should we be patient? It's pretty normal that we're terrible at waiting. We live in this culture that instantly is gratified by anything we might want or need. Right? I just mentioned Amazon. How crazy is this? They have now set a goal for one-day shipping to be the de facto way of getting stuff to your door. If you live in Northeast Ohio, there's like seven warehouses that are within an hour of here that have Amazon's name on them, and pretty much almost anything you order will be at your door the next day, if not very early the day after that. Right? Everything is instant. 
I remember sitting around circles with friends and having arguments about who would be, who was the actor in that movie, and we just had to like be satisfied with not knowing. Now we just pull our phones out and Google it. Instant. You have instant everything. You have food delivered to your door by an app on your phone if you want it. Within a few minutes. Everything is instant. Entertainment is instant. At any given moment in your house, you can pick from probably a million plus hours of entertainment content to drown out the thoughts of your day and just sit in front of the couch. If you've ever sit and watch Netflix and you get that little thing that pops up that says, are you still watching and insults you, like, right? Are you still watching? Yeah, I've been at this for six hours and I intend to go for six more, right? We have everything we want in an instant, everything. Social media, you can get feedback in an instant. Put something out there, everybody will tell you what they think for better or for worse. We, in every area of our lives, the way the world works, are groomed from birth on to lack patience and an ability to wait. And the problem is that God's kingdom is not an instant kingdom. God's economy doesn't work the way ours does. He doesn't really care if he can get something to you within a day or two. He cares about getting it to you at the right time. And unfortunately for us, or fortunately for us, that time perhaps doesn't line up with the one that we had in mind. Waiting is built into the fabric of God's design for us as people. It just is. See, this morning, I want to look at waiting in the context of Isaiah 40. Uh, today, and even at Christmas Eve a little bit, we're going to spend some time digging deeper into some passages in Isaiah, because as we read the Christmas narrative and we see all these stories that we're kind of familiar with, they quote Isaiah all throughout, and it's worth spending some time understanding what is actually happening in Isaiah. We've done that a little bit, we'll do that a lot this Christmas Eve, but for now I want to spend some time looking at Isaiah 40. And to set you, set you up for this, Isaiah 40 is a humongous turning point in the book of Isaiah, because it marks a complete change in time. See, from Isaiah on, from the very beginning, all the way up to chapter 39, Isaiah has been in, in the current time that he actually, as a person, is living in. He's been getting messages and things from the Lord, and so he's been speaking those things to his people, and he's been warning them about the onslaught of Babylon, the fact that, that they will be coming into exile, that they will be suffering, that they will be struggling, that they will be painfully waiting to see what God does. He's warning them about their behavior. He's telling them, you have to turn back to God. You have to turn back to God. And then once we get to 40, Isaiah jumps into almost kind of a trance, and he starts to talk about things that are happening during the exile that hasn't yet happened, if that makes any sense. It's kind of like if you've read Revelation and you see that John, after the letters to the churches, he is transported to what will be, what will come. Isaiah has this vision from the Lord of what will be. And so when we get to 40, the first verse of 40, Isaiah is essentially, the Lord is using Isaiah to speak directly to his people who have found themselves in exile and wondering how the heck they got here, what the heck is going on, and what is going to be next. And so it's important that we pay attention to the very first words, because what we see in 40 verse 1 is the very first thing that God says to his people as they find themselves in this new exile status, wondering what's next. Here's what he says. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that the time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And this one we're familiar with. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the first thing he gives them is comfort. He's punished them. He's moved them into exile. He's done with them what he needs to do with them. But he tells them very much from the beginning, comfort, oh my people. Listen, you're in this right now. Your reality is not your final reality. There's going to be a point where someone will come through the wilderness, right? It's the prophecy of John the Baptist. We dug into that a few weeks ago. And when that comes, he will announce the Savior and all the things will happen. The rough places will be smooth. The hills will be plains. Everything is going to go back to the way that it's supposed to be. I have you in the palm of my hand. And so from the very outset, exile looks very different for the Israelites than, say, the Joseph story that we covered. Right? Joseph went through much of his life not knowing what on earth was going to come next. Right? The, the, the Israelites, from the very get-go, God tells them, listen, you're going to do this for some time, and at the right time, I am going to bring you back. And everything that is supposed to happen will happen. And all the strife and all the struggle and all the worry and all the pain will be gone. But until that time comes, you have to wait. And he doesn't tell them how long it's going to take, but they know something good is coming on the other end. They're not waiting in the dark like Joseph did, but still they are waiting. And so they are sitting in the midst of Babylon with a people that is not like them, worshiping under constraints, not free, not able to be in the temple. The temple was destroyed, but they have their Lord who is firmly in control and tells them so, and he comforts them, even in the midst of punishment. If you're a parent who's had to punish your kid it's one of the harder things because you don't want to be mean to your kids. Maybe unless they've not let you sleep for a few days. But when you punish them, there's this sense of you just want to comfort them in the midst of punishment. Like one of my least favorite things ever is putting Graham in time out and walking out the door because he just cries. <laughs> and all I want to do is run in there and hug him, but I don't. Until the right time, then I come in and I comfort him. Right? The Lord comforts his people, but he tells them, you have to wait. And what do they do in that waiting? They continuously grow back to him. They have times where they stumble and they turn away, but then they turn back towards him. The Lord never leaves them abandoned in Babylon. He's working through their midst. But still, the wait is long, and the people get impatient. And that's the beauty of Isaiah 40, because when we read on, we see that the Lord anticipates the fact that they are going to get weary and grow impatient from waiting. And so we see what he does with them here. This is a little later on. This is in verse 25. It says, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? See, they're getting weary, and so he says, Hey, um, I'm God who made all things. Um, remember that? Um, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. 
Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary, like we do. There's no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint, and he strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose trust is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary, and they will walk and not faint. See, the Lord not only calls them to wait, but he knows that waiting is something that they, the Israelites, and us today are just absolutely awful at. And so he takes it one step further and he says, look, why, why would you say, where is my God? Right? They're wondering where the Lord is. Why would you say that? Do you know who I am? Think back to your history, O Israelites. Wasn't I the one that parted the sea and rained food from the sky and gave you the promised land that was full of armies upon armies that you could have never beaten on human terms? I gave you all those things. I've been working in your life and in your generations and in your history for ages and ages. Remember who I am. And then he says, youths and young men will grow weary. He says, listen, guys, I know that you're prone to getting tired and that waiting is something that's really hard for you. I understand. I built you after all. I would know how you work. I get that waiting is tough. But listen, Waiting for me is not difficult at all, says the Lord. Because I know how everything works at the right and appointed time. And so when you grow weary of waiting, find your strength in me. Let's look at it again. But those who trust in the Lord, they will renew their strength to wait. They will soar on wings like eagles when it comes to waiting not in the way Josh Groban sings about, but in the way the Lord actually tells us. They will run and not become weary, and they will walk, and they will not be faint. In the Lord's strength, when we turn to him, when we trust in him, when our paths are lining up with his, waiting becomes much easier. Not because it's on our own strength that we figure out how to be patient, but because the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, gives us his supernatural patience. He does. He promises us, I know you'll be weary. I know waiting's hard. I know you might be in a situation where for the past few years you've just been waiting on something to happen and it hasn't happened. Just give me patience. Come to me and I will continuously provide you with the ability to wait. And so as we look at the exile and we look at the way that God deals with his people, we learn a few key things about God's design and waiting. The first is this. For us, waiting is a mundane task. But for God, it's something that he uses to shape us. In the times where it feels like you are doing nothing, where life's not moving forward, God is using those times to shape you. One of my favorite movies, and this is going to be silly, top three favorite movies is The Karate Kid. If you've seen The Karate Kid, um, Mr. Miyagi is this awesome landlord who, man, like everyone who's ever rented, if 
you wish he was your landlord, right? But he teaches karate to the main character in the movie. And one of the things he does is when he first shows up, he just has him do all these mundane tasks. He has him wax like eight cars until he can't feel his arms anymore. He has him paint a fence. He has him sand a floor and all these things. And after a while, he's tired and he says, Mr. Miyagi, I am tired of doing, I don't think you're teaching me anything. All you're doing is making me do all this stupid work for you so, I don't, so you don't have to do it yourself. And it's one of the most brilliant parts of the movie. Mr. Miyagi goes, show me the motions of the things that you've done, of waxing on and painting the fence and sanding the floor. And he, and he notices that all of those things have been training his body for karate movements that end up making him really great at that craft. But at the time, he had no idea. See, the Lord does this with our lives. The Lord will use the mundaneness to build up in us things that he wants us to have. He will grow characteristics in our time of waiting that we need. He will shape us for things that he wants to use us for that we're not yet ready for. And so while we're sitting here going, woe is me, why do I have to keep waiting to be used in this way? I want this to happen. I want that to happen. I just feel like life's not going anywhere. The Lord says, you have no idea what I'm doing with you. If you look back a year from now, some of the things that I've set you up to do some of the things that I've called you to. You would have never been ready a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. If I had thrown those at you then, it would have been chaotic. But because I, God, in my infinite nature, understand the way everything comes together, I prepared you. What for you was mundane, for me, was intentional. God never wastes our times of waiting even if it feels like it to us. The second is, when we grow weary, when we grow impatient, we have to run to God for strength. We have to spend time in prayer with him. We have to spend time in the word with him. We have to spend time with other Christians talking about him and studying him and getting to know him and living life together in service of him because that's the way that he uses the Holy Spirit through people to renew our strength and waiting. He gives us supernaturally the patience that we need. And finally, why must we wait because waiting, believe it or not, is one of the ultimate acts of worship. Maybe you've never thought about that, but waiting is actually worship. When we wait, when we choose to faithfully put not just our trusting, but patience in the Lord, when we say on your timing, and I'm going to remain faithful and I'm going to wait however long it takes for the things that I'm asking you for. I'm going to wait to see how your plan unfolds rather than going down my own path. Every time we choose to wait in faithfulness, we are proclaiming, God, I trust you. You're saying that his plan and his timing are superior to your plan and your timing. Waiting is one of the ultimate ways that we worship our Savior. And so my encouragement to you this morning is don't waste your times of waiting. See them for what they are. And when you find yourself lacking patience, ask God, what he's using that time for? Look at your life and the way that he's moving and shaping things and say, what is it about me? What needs to grow? What do I need to work on? Rather than being idle and impatient, use that time. For me, one of the hardest times of waiting was seminary. Because you're sitting in class and you're learning all these things. And I just wanted to get out and apply it all. 
But the Lord used that time to really shape the way I thought about him and his word, and about pastoring and about people, about worship and various things of theological topics and discussions. He used that time of waiting, of just sitting and reading and studying and seemingly not getting to apply any whole lot of it to shape me into the person that I am today. And he'll continue to do that with all of us. See the times of waiting for what they are and ask yourself, what is God using those times for? He might just be shaping you to be exactly who he needs you to be years from now for his use and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you use times of waiting. We thank you that when we feel like life is going idly by, that that's not the case at all because you are at work in our lives and the lives of your people. We praise you for the fact that waiting is really just a time for you to orchestrate your kingdom to be exactly how you want it to be. And God, we recognize that waiting is hard. And so we ask for your strength. There are things, good things, things that seemingly are of you that we've been waiting for for a long, long time. Many of us this year have been waiting to spend time with loved ones and family. We just want to get together with people. And we ask ourselves, God, why? how long are we going to have to wait until things go back to normal. And we don't know, but you do. And all these things are in your timing, and so we pray that you would remind us of that truth, that you would give us your strength. Be with us this week as we prepare for the last few days to celebrate the birth of your son this Christmas. We love you and we praise you. And all his people said, amen.